tell me one thing, Burke? You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. It's just one of those things managed to wipe out my entire crew in less than 24 hours. And if the colonists have found that ship, then there's no telling how many of them have been exposed. Do you understand? I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, is brought to you by the generous support of our incredible patrons. To learn more, please visit www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, J.M. Prater, and I am joined by co-host Patrick Green, contributing host David Gogol, and today we're going to talk about supporting characters, and this is an idea Dave brought up um, as a way to kind of cut up, cut through the the normal episodes that we talk about, where we're talking about a lot of a lot of different things, but sometimes it ends up being the same thing or variations on the same theme, so I'm going to pass it over to Dave and to kind of talk about what interests him about this topic and why why we're doing this episode tonight. So, Dave, take it away. All right. Um, so for those that uh, read or didn't, uh, be sure to check it out on uh, Xenomorphing, because that was kind of an idea that, you know, was kind of a little collaboration thing we're, uh, we're doing here. Like Jamie was just saying, um, I thought it would be a nice idea to do something different and exploring in the alien universe, because we're always talking about, you know, Ripley... Um, the ships, the derelict, the Nostromo, um, the creatures, the directors, artists, <clears throat> all the time. So I figured it was time to throw a little, little curveball, do something a little, um, little different. Give us some of the, uh, the supporting characters a little love. Everyone from, uh, you know, Ash to, um, to Lambert to Jonesy. Everyone deserves a little shine. So I figured we'd talk about, you know, things we like, things we didn't, scenes, how things have changed, how we do the characters over the years. And um, so that's really it. So, uh, Jamie, how about you? Well, uh, Alien, for me, um, is a film that's about an ensemble. It's about, I think everyone is a supporting character. The only real star is the alien, um, including Sigourney Weaver. I think Sigourney Weaver's Ripley really becomes the star at the end. She turns into the star of the series or the franchise at the end of the film. Um, for me... My favorite character, if I you had to pin it down, would be Dallas. Dallas uh, had a really, really difficult job, but also before he had a difficult job, Tom Skerritt had to play that role in a way that made us believe who he was, made us believe what he was there to do, which is to captain a ship. Uh, a supposed, uh, it was supposed to be a ship just full of kind of truckers in space. We all know that term. Um, they're kind of doing their job. They're waking up. They're going about their day. They're towing mineral ore, I believe. Um Yes. And Tom Skerritt's Dallas, he's just, you see every emotion, every kind of, everything that he's dealing with, you see it in his eyes, you see it in his pensiveness, you see it um, in the way he's directing people and the decisions that he's making. And he's not a, um, a a leader that's like 
I'm doing this and this is it. He's very much like, well, what do you think, Ash? What do you think, Ripley? What do you think? What do you think, Kane? And he's he really gets the perspective of other people on the ship. And uh, as the tension builds and uh, people are picked off one by one, Dallas really, for me, he's just, I'm rooting for him. I, I don't, every time I see Alien, I don't want Dallas to die. Like, I obviously, I've seen the film yeah. many, many times, and I know what's going to happen, but every time I'm like, please don't die, Dallas. Like, please be smarter than this. Not that he wasn't smart. He just didn't know what he was doing. And uh, he, again, it's really about believability and believing the character that I'm being shown. And all of those cast all the people in who were casted for the role for alien did a phenomenal job but tom scarrett as dallas really 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 sold me and uh i uh, it sounds kind of funny but i'd be a i'd be like a a crew aboard his ship any day that's how real he was to well, me some of you may have figured out we're not home yet we're only halfway there what mother's interrupted the course of our journey what yeah she's program to do that should certain conditions arise they have yeah it was it was very natural like it just felt like he went into that role as if it was just nothing mm -hmm. everything was natural believable he just felt like that reluctant captain it was great mm -hmm. and it was very underplayed you know very yeah very yeah. underplayed even in the moments of stress where it would have been mm -hmm. totally fine for him to be freaking out he's really not and it's not even just because he's like a good leader or he's like cool-headed he's just like He's like, what is going on? Like, I, I really just want to go home right now. It's like um, I always like the the look the look on his face when Ripley corners him. He's like, oh Ripley, what now? Come on, like, oh, <laughs> like I'm just trying to take a shit. He's like so so miserable about it. But you know what's so great about that one scene though is he's like she's talking to him, she's challenging him, and he's like, well, you know, Ash is the science officer and I, you know, he's just kind of give him, and then she's like, well, since when is that standard procedure? And she, he's like, standard procedure is to do whatever the hell they tell you to do. Like, he's kind of yeah. giving her a line, but he feels forced to. Like, he's just there to do his yep. job. Like, he doesn't want to be anyone's boss. You know, he didn't feel like he had to step in this role. Everyone was an equal up until this point, <laughs> and then he kind of had to assume the role of captain. Um, yeah. And his, you can see yep. him visually trying to reconcile Ripley's concerns with Ash, whatever Ash was doing, and it's just brilliant acting. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's so beautifully done, and that's actually the part with uh, my favorite line when she's like, "Well, I don't trust him." He's like, "Well, I don't trust anybody." Yeah, yeah <laughs> I don't yeah. trust anybody. Great. And when he's and that in was the... before that line became like overdone too. That was like like that was fresh, you know. And he yes, doesn't even that say it like that. that. He just says, "I don't yeah. trust anyone." Yeah, the way he delivers it is just yeah. perfect, just so matter of factly, and you know, it's not in that overdrawn. Uh, cheesy 80s movie vibe we know for it now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't trust anyone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's very he's very calm. I think uh, – do you guys want to kind of focus on him first and kind of like talk more about him or you want to move I on? Don't know, we can for a little bit then you can move on to your favorite one, um, Pat, whatever works for you. Well, I just – I just I, – I love how Tom Skerritt <laughs> makes the character so – Believable, like you were saying, Jamie, because it, like in most situations, whether they're in times of stress or or not, their like personalities are pretty tame. You know, like people aren't grandstanding and being all histrionic and being intense or being inspirational. Like sometimes, like you're just in a crew of people doing a job, and it's not like you were born to to lead an army. Like you just happen to be like the most senior person on the staff. You know, with the with the management training, and like you're like, all right, well, this is why. I get an extra half share. Like this is my this is my position on this on the ship, and uh, and it's my job. But like I'm going to be humble about it and I'll listen to what other people have to say. Like that's like a totally normal 
Yes. Um, person. And I think part of why we love this whole truckers in space motif so much, and I think why it's so effective and why it's so evergreen is that it feels like a completely believable set of people helmed by somebody who's not a movie character. Like to me, Dallas is just a guy. He's just a guy that, you know, I could have met on the street and, and totally, uh, bought as a human, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just a very natural, um, you know, leader, just kind of that reluctant boss thing going on. It was so believable. Yeah. And there's another moment with Dallas where he's sitting in his, I don't know if it's, it's the, the cockpit or wherever he's at, but he's listening to music and it really informs you as to who this man is. This man is calm. This man is collected. This man listens to classical music. Um, he's in his thoughts. He's thinking a lot. I just, he played against the stereotype of captains of ship. You know, I know we're talking about supporting characters, but if you fast forward to Alien Resurrection, um, uh, you get the captain of the ship. He's like, oh yeah, Christy, come on. Like very different, very stereotypical captain of the ship. Um, whereas Dallas was none of those things. Dallas She's was... She's severely fuckable though, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Dallas was just, uh, you know, he's kind of like the, a man's man. He was um, kind of breathless. And uh, I, I, again, I, I, I love Alien because of these characters. Because as a whole, these characters feel like family. They feel like uh, they're so real. I have not seen a science fiction film with characters this real since probably the, the original three Alien films. Specifically the one we're talking about now. And it's important to remember, I think, that the the paradigm in which this movie was made was a science fiction paradigm that did not have these underplayed, believable characters. Like this was the era of the Correct. space opera, right? This was coming off of the sort of the you know the the B movie era where you had all these just crazy you know dramatic vampires and outer space stories, and then Star Wars happened and everything changed after Star Trek, you know, like and and we had this this move into these big operatic, you know, um, archetypal things and then alien comes out and it's like and it's like just it's like everything is exactly as it is currently uh, in in like late 1970s earth in like the midwest but they happen to be in outer space being chased by an extraterrestrial you know yeah every, before that everything was shiny even you know star right. trek which is a little more in 2001 it was all shiny and futuristic you know there's sort of like the the situation everything were realistic but it was all you know, uh, puppies and rainbows with how it looked. And then, like I said, Alien came along, and all of a sudden it's worn down. And the it's people beat are up. grimy, and they're not the people, like, Right, right. They're, they're fucking truckers, you know, making right. uh, sexual quips at each other. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I love to bring up my favorite supporting character, who I think kind of goes off of this. Can I, can I mention him? Yeah, go ahead. I freaking love Brett. I have always oh. loved Harry <laughs> Stanton. I think Brett is just like this wonderful, amazing <laughs> part of the film. I love that he didn't want to do it because he didn't like science fiction movies and, and he was like tricked into it. And like, <laughs> I just I just love how like he's just he's just un- like what you want to talk about underplaying a role. I mean, oh, man, it's like Harry didn't see it. He's barely awake during the filming of it. He's just like and it, and it so sells this whole idea that yeah. like they're just he's like they're just like earning a wage doing this work. Like he probably went to a couple years of like basic, you know, electrical engineering school, 
wanted to like make some money, get in the union, so he like went on this like space voyage, right. and then ended up like way over like anything that he could have anticipated. Um, but again, instead of going crazy about it, like he just is, uh, you know, like as he says, right. right. Right, it's, it's like it's all, all you need to know about him. Like he doesn't even put enough effort into his interactions to come up with any other words than that, you know. And it's so yeah, effortless. To, yeah, really? he just wants to work and buddy up with uh, Parker, fix things, and be left the fuck alone. Yeah, and it really goes to show. You know, I know with in terms of the behind the scenes of Alien, they got that cast together a few weeks before filming and just to get to know each other and it really you can see it I mean these people don't you can tell sometimes in films where people are trying to act natural but it ain't that natural Mm -hmm. Um, and Alien I mean again they just sell it these are people who have been in space for a long 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 time Uh, Mm -hmm. nothing seems new nothing's they just kind of they wake up and yeah they've woken up before and where are we what are we doing where are we going okay not sure um, right. And Brett, you know, again, the banter between him and Parker is just, it's brilliant. Oh, and it's not brilliant because of the way it was, you know, the, the text was brilliant. It's brilliant <laughs> because of the way it was acted. It was brilliant because Correct. it was real right. people. That's what yep. I miss in alien yep. films, and, and, people like that. Yep. Right. Whenever he says anything, you say, right, Brett, you know that? Right. <sighs> Parker, what do you think? Your staff just falls you around and says, right. It's like a regular parrot. Yeah, shape up. What are you so right. Oh, come on, knock it off. And what's so great is that because because Yafet Kodo is like such a larger than life per I mean, literally, he's just a giant <laughs> dude. But he's also like, you know, I mean, he was like in these like black exploitation movies. He's like this big personality, like and he's very charismatic. And it just plays so well to have like these two partners be like just yeah. the most completely different like the only way they could be more different is if they were also different genders. That's like the only <laughs> other thing that could have been different about them. You have this like teeny tiny little like one hundred pound white dude, and then this is like just this big, like just hilarious, boisterous black guy. Like they're just just I love like the dynamic between them and how you can totally see because it's like in, in a lot of great partnerships, you know, people fit together like puzzle pieces and they're like these two pieces of a puzzle that you would never think make a beautiful picture, but they they totally do. And they're Have completely you guys ever seen... equals. And they yeah. are, yeah. Oh yeah. Have you guys ever seen uh Harry Dean Stanton Partly Fiction, the documentary from like twenty thirteen? No. no. Oh my God! You have to see this movie. It's it's um it's amazing. So like shortly before, you know, of course we we lost Harry Dean Stanton. Um, was it like a year ago almost? It was sometime in 2017. And yeah. uh, and shortly before that, he filmed this like amazing. He didn't film it. He was just the subject of it. But somebody filmed him in his like day to day life, and it's this beautiful black and white documentary that just shows like what an amazing artist he was and thinker and how the character of Brett is like exactly the way that Harry Dean Stanton is. It's like you ever see like those the footage of like turtles in the Galapagos Islands and it's like they like barely move. It's like yes. they're they're ancient and it's like they've been around since <laughs> the beginning of time and they're in no hurry to do anything but they're very wise. Like that's what I think Brett and Harry Dean Stanton by extension are. They're like these like very just chill wise like not going to give a shit about anything that happens to them characters and that's what i think makes his ultimate you know because he has like the first dramatic death scene in, in alien you know um oh, that's, that's... other than other than kane obviously and oh, I, I think, like, yeah it's an amazing scene oh. and, and you get to see it's probably like, the best the... alien death scene in the film in, in the Man. series 
Oh, ever. Oh, easily. I would, I would, well, not easily, but I would say ever in Alien, that's the best death scene. And part of that is a testament to him because, like, I love how, like, what he chooses to do before he dies is cool his head down, you know? And yeah. he's just chilling there with the water dri- in this in this room that makes no fucking sense. Well, and he and, doesn't and, and, know he's about to die either. No, right, exactly. And, and he, but but also like everybody else is very you know freaked out, mm-hmm. you know, and and they're like and they're they're all scared because Jones just you know just scared them and um and he's just like he's just chilling. He's just like doing his job, looking around. He's like making fun of what what remember because he's like making fun of himself for meowing. He's like what what is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like enough kitty shit or whatever the hell he says, yeah. Right. But like before his uh his death scene, you get to see him like for exactly who he is, even though he's in the situation that I think for most other people, although of course they they don't know how big the xenomorph is at that point, but still, I mean it's a scary situation to be in. And he's just very chill. For me it was um it was Dallas for a long time for just about the same reasons. Um, you said Jamie, just the reluctant, you know, leader, just going about his his day, and, and you know, it felt like Tom Skerritt was a ship's captain, and just that's who he was. Um, but as times have changed and my mindset has changed, I think, I think right now, other than Jonesy, of course, um, <laughs> <laughs> probably Ash. Really. Probably, yeah. Wow. I think it's a very, very interesting, um, ah. very interesting character. Um, I don't know if it's just me, just, just, just to be different, because it's always been, um, which I'm going to call it, uh, Dallas. Dallas for me. But um, as we're getting older, I just realized the little nuances of um, Ian Holmes' performance or the little, you know, after you've seen the movie a million times, you see the little touches of little things ash says that does where he's you know really protecting him and the company's investment i just think it's a great great touch that there you could really only pull off once in a movie series and of course it's been copied a million times between a million franchises and it's just, every the little the little subtles what subtle looks like he was you know he's giving um uh kane when kane is eating even in the beginning when they're all getting together and eating you see him kind of sizing everyone up seeing what he's up against, you know, it's just brilliant. And even when I watch it now, when um, they go to explore the uh, the derelict and you see him in the pot and he kind of, you know, does that, does that little run thing. And at first when you watch the movie, oh, he's just trying to, you know, he's just trying to keep warm. But now that you know what he is, all right, is he just trying to, you know, make believe he's a human? Is he trying to just get mm. his, his, you know, is he trying to keep that um, act on? Like, hey, you know, you don't know what I am. Or is he just trying to get his... His, um, you know, his joints going, his, uh, his inner workings. Just, I think it's a brilliant character, brilliant character, and so unsettling. Like they're, they're, yes, towards the, Very. towards. I would say, I don't know if it's quite two thirds in, but of course, after the alien is on the ship, he says this thing. He says, "Kane's son, this son of a bitch is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane's son. Come on, Ash. I mean, science department should be able to help us. What can we do to drive it? Yes, well, it's adapted remarkably well to our atmosphere, considering its nutritional requirements. The only thing we don't know about is temperature. Okay, what about temperature? What happens if we change it? Let's try it. I mean, most animals retreat from fire, yes? Fire, yeah. Perfect. Quietly. 
Oh, and yes. it unnerves all of them. Like, I know, I love like, that. What the yeah. fuck? What, Ken's oh, son? So creepy. He's like, like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just says it so quietly, and it's so diabolical. Yeah. And the freaking, um, I love the look on his face when, you know, Ripley finds out. He does that little... That little head tilt, that I love mouth that. thing. It's so, oh I know, it's so weird. It's, so it's such a weird yeah. facial expression. And it's yeah. like, it's no surprise that his like one little moment as Bilbo, where he like goes all ash. Remember when he sees the ring? Yes. Yeah. That famous <laughs> moment is so fucking scary because he is really good at doing that. He like yeah, contorts yeah. the features yeah. so much. Ripley's all like, you know, have the you been in Gaffer's homebrew? <laughs> the first time I saw Alien, I I, re- I remember distinctly that Kane's death was spoiled, so I, I never got like the shock of that because it's just such a part of popular culture. And even though I was a kid, like I, I knew that that was going to happen, but I did not know about Ash, and so that was something that I got to experience, and I very rem- distinctly remember being like horrified yeah. <laughs> as a seven-year-old. When this guy gets his head knocked off, and, he gets, yeah. and I was like, "Oh my god!" It was so weird because there wasn't like uh, you know this whole idea of the sort of the the milk yogurt blood and like yeah. it was very wow. alien. And in that moment, yes. I I you know you it, of course everybody likes to say like, "Oh, like the scary thing is really like the people," but it's true. Like in this moment, like by that point, we know the threat of the xenomorph. We know what it's capable of. We've seen it doing some terrible shit. We have no idea that there's something even potentially more dangerous. Um, on board the ship, like yeah. you know, in a sort of Protecting a ten little Indian yeah. scenario, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right. It was like, don't touch it, don't touch it. It's like, yeah, because you want it for your fucking self. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But like you said, though, Dave, like the first time you see it, it's another one of those moments where you where you're like, oh, he's just like making sure that they're safe, I guess. Like, yeah, first because you and, and that scene happens so quick, you're not thinking, oh, you know, why is he saying don't touch it? Why is he, you know, everyone's freaking out, everyone's completely lost their shit. So it's like, all right, you just don't think about it. Right, right, right. But and then what's so great about it is that it leaves these little breadcrumbs. So like the next time you watch the movie, you can be like, oh man, yeah, yeah. that's why you turn the monitor off. You can see these little yeah, moments. You know? Yeah, uh, which is funny. Uh, as you just saying that now, I realize that um, Burke does the same thing in Aliens. He turns off the monitor. Yep. You know, uh, yep. I mean it's different, yeah. but it's oh, similar. Yeah. You know, and uh, Ash somewhat foreshadows, but he is. Similar, I know this is getting into, I mean, I know we're talking about um, supporting characters, but I think about, like, how Ash becomes the alien, or is the second alien on board this ship, where he is the threat, and he's incredibly strong. Also, he's strangely poetic, too, which is a motif we find amongst replicants in Blade Runner series. Ash is just poetic. There's Mm -hmm. a poetry about him. Uh, when he talks, but also, I mean, I think David, you know, I, I think that the uh, the synthetics that come later in the Alien films totally carry that yeah, on. Post Blade Runner, oh yeah, so they pick up on. Oh yeah, become, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, right. But then you see, what's an interesting parallel with Ash though is, again, like we just said, Ash kind of becomes that other threat within in this confined space. Fast forward to Alien Three, and Ripley becomes that Ash character to them. She is the threat too. Right. It's not just the alien. It's this person who's the threat to us she mm. has put us in danger she oh. is to blame um never thought of <laughs> yeah ripley becomes alien anyways we'll get into that later on or not later on but in another episode at some point but anyways i just love those parallels <laughs> oh yeah the parallels that's a 
<clears throat> that's a whole other thing. Those are all, I love those little touches between all the series, but that's that's like a whole other tangent. <laughs> it is, it, but I, I I don't know if, if you mentioned in the beginning, Jamie, but um, but just in case we haven't covered it, Dave is doing a whole series on this for Xenomorphing on different um different supporting characters from different films, and and so like we're doing so this is kind of a sub series within Perfect Organism where we're focusing on those because Dave's of course affiliated with both of these things. We're kind of focusing on different films for each of these little sub episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we Everyone's will get a supporting character is going to get some shine or some. Right, right, right. So we will get to talk about it. That's my yeah. point. It's pretty exciting. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, it's we should. I mean, at least for me, I fucking love Lambert. I think I love her as a character oh. because she and I know she gets so much flack even from the the fans. They're like, oh, she's so dumb. Yes. She's not dumb. She's acting the way so many people would act in situations that way. She's Correct. scared shitless. Correct. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. I would be. I don't know if I would be crying. I mean, I might be crying like that. Who knows? And <laughs> I'll be crying like that. You can <laughs> yeah. I can't do. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm like, terrified. <laughs> I would be shit in my I, pants. <laughs> um, but sure, again, played brilliantly by Veronica Cartwright. Oh man, uh, yeah. I mean, like when she's breaking down towards the end, and she's like, "Why don't we draw straws?" He's like, "I'm not for drawing any straws." You know, I mean, her performance yeah. in that is <laughs> just heartbreaking. She's paralyzed in her fear, paralyzed yeah. in her fear, and then, and you can see her greatest fear is she, there's this creature on this ship that she doesn't know, and then she faces it alone, essentially. Um, I, I just can't go right. on enough about Veronica Cartwright's Lambert. Unless somebody has got a better idea, we'll proceed with Dallas's plan. What? And end up like the others? <laughs> no, you're out of your mind. You got a better idea? Yes. I say that we abandon the ship. We get the shuttle and just get the hell out of here. We take our chances and just hope that somebody picks us up. The shuttle won't take four. What what touch I really like when I first, of course, when I was younger, I was like, you know, this Lambert's so annoying. I hate this lady. Then as I got older, older, I'm like, hey, you know what? I kind of understand you now. You know, again, like to go, it's probably gonna be the the theme throughout all of these is when you see the details, like when I first go out to explore it, and you know, Dallas is saying, you know, who's going, you know, and she, you know, he's like uh, Lambert, and she's sitting there, she's like, great. I was like awesome. Yeah. This is exactly what I don't want to yeah. do. I want to sit in the ship and navigate, do my job. But I want to explore some strange, whatever it is, in the middle of nowhere. I just want to go home. Yeah, she's like, "What is this?" Yeah, I do like that you get to see her earlier on in the movie being very um, cogent and very skilled at her navigation role. Like that, you, you you get a sense that like she is like a professional. She's not just this like shrieking idiot. You know, right. like she she is like a completely capable person. But that capable person in the face of an unspeakable nightmare devolves, you know? And it's right. also I, I love Veronica Cartwright has this really long history of being in similar situations in movies. <laughs> Cause in the birds, you know, she was a kid. Uh, which which is really really cool to go back and watch her like you know screaming in the birds and be like oh that's Veronica Cartwright. Um, her sister she was, was in Lost uh, in Space. Body Snatchers too. The original Lost in Space. Oh, I didn't know that. Angelica Cartwright. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So she's got like a sci-fi lineage. She does have a noble sci-fi lineage. And that same sister um, was in The Sound of Music. She played Louisa. Who was her sister? And what what what? Angelica Cartwright. What, what's her? Angelica Cartwright. Yeah. Oh. Um, I also think that her final scream is just one of the most amazing mm-hmm. moments in the entire franchise. I think oh, that yeah. Hearing Blood that scream, 
Ah, oh, it's so good. And knowing that, like, because they set it up very specifically so that you know that there's a sexual component to this, whether it's real or not, like that she is interpreting this as some sort of a violation sexually. See, so it's that, like this actually. very deep. No, oh, you don't? Not at all. I think people place that. I mean, okay. So it's going around her leg and it's coming up her leg, which actually is um, Brett's leg, but they cut it so, so it looks like her leg. Anyways, um, I think it's wrapping around her leg, but I don't know. I, and I think it kind of diminishes her character a little bit to assume that the alien was going for a sexual component with her. I do. I think it's offensive. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't buy it at all. I don't. Well, I'm, I, well, 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 wait a minute. I'm not saying that the alien was. I'm saying that she, because of the way it's shot, seems to be interpreting a sexual component. I don't, to it. I, I think I, how do we get that? Like, I think it's exploring her. I, I think it's it's quietly creeping up around her and it's scaring the shit out of her. I don't think she's thinking sexual at all. She's thinking I'm scared shitless and I don't know what this thing is doing and why is it taking its time? It's just it, it's a moment where there's so many questions happening so quickly and it's so disorienting. And to me, I, I, I mean, I, it seems like a very conscious decision on, on the filmmaker's part to include the fact that it's creeping up her skirt, you know, metaphorically speaking. Like, I think that there's definitely intent behind that. Well, I, don't I don't I, so I don't think I don't think the xenomorph is raping her. I don't, no, think, I don't think so think either. Happen. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there is a sexualized component to whatever curiosity or violence is happening in that moment. And it's feeding off of the fact that she's hyperventilating and screaming and realizing that it doesn't have to hurry in this moment, that it, like it she's paralyzed and it can do whatever it wants to do. And there, to me, there's a definite sexual aspect of that because mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's like uh, when, you know, in, in many rape situations, you know, uh, well, people I think get, the whole alien life cycle is, impl is implied oh, yeah. sexual. Totally. <laughs> you know, totally. uh, right, right. I mean, so I don't blame people going that way. Like, I think what you said is right. I think there's some sort of hints maybe just the way it was directed or done but i don't think anything was actually um you know happened i don't think there was any i don't think the xenomorph raped lambert but i could see the little the hints of it but just because you, you of got, the, just because the way that the creature is and just how you know the implications always with that particular um you know the whole life cycle of it i get it but i don't think it was actually done that's ridiculous yeah, exactly i, I, th I, th I think i think it was set up I mean, because Daniel Bandon has said many times that uh, he wrote it specifically to make straight white men uncomfortable. Because if you can make right. people who don't have to be uncomfortable as frequently as other people uncomfortable, then like you kind of like scared the harder audience to to scare. And I, and I think that's a moment like that. I think that's why you have you know these vagina eggs erupting, these blowjob hands, you know that then like forcibly penetrate a man's throat. And then he gives birth, you know, and then it's like it's like all of these sexualized like tropes. This, and yeah. I think it's very intentional yeah. that you have this quote unquote damsel in distress who's screaming and paralyzed with fear alone in a dark hallway being with her her inner thigh being caressed by this dick like tail. I, I, there's there's definitely supposed to be something subconsciously playing well, out of like, oh, my God, she's in sexual see, danger. I, I, even I, she's see, not I never necessary. read it that way. I never read it as sexual danger. The kind of danger I read was what's it doing? That's my question. What's I don't know what it's doing. It's creepy. Now, because the, the slow movement yeah, of that yeah. leg is 
of course, slow. But again, they filmed that for Brett's death, not for Lambert's death. So they recontextualized that scene. So it wasn't filmed intentionally for Lambert. So I think any intentions, but but it, it was included in the film intentionally yeah. for Lambert. Yeah. I mean, like like they you know, yeah. during the editorial process, they were like, you know what, this fits this moment. It's like we're going to keep it. Like so, at some point, somebody made a decision to have it go yeah. there. You know, I just think I, I think yeah. I have more issue with a lot of people go even further into oh my god the aliens raping lambert and they go it's just like come on like okay i will admit that there is some odd perverse perhaps sexual element going on there at least that's how we're interpreting it right also the way we, what we are interpreting as a sexual signal might not be what the aliens doing you know what i mean like that's what we're interpreting very true um, very true so well, so yes that's true uh, though I, you have to there's so many things that we bring to <laughs> scenes like that you know um but uh, I, I think, again, what scares me about that scene is that I don't know what it's doing and why it's taking its time. And when it presents itself to Lambert, even in the beginning, it's like crouching there and slowly stands up with its arms open like, come to me. Like, it's fucking scary. I mean, that scene still yeah. is scary. And Lambert's face, I mean, Veronica Cartwright acted the hell out of that. That's authentic Ooh. terror. I haven't yeah. seen that kind of yeah. authentic terror since Ferris in Covenant. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, and by the way, uh, in terms of Lambert, I, what I love, love, love about Veronica Cartwright's performance of Lambert is right in the beginning, right when they wake up, you know that she knows something's wrong. You know it. She's got a sick sense in her stomach. She's sick about yep. it. She knows it's not going to go right. She's like that. Everyone yep. else is kind of like, oh, okay, well, we're just kind of going about our business. Yeah, they, we're, we're. But she's like, oh, no. I don't want to go. Well, and, and you can you can yeah, see her like eyes on goes, pain too. I like the way she goes. It's not our system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I As know she that. Chain smokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like the little um, tension between her and uh, and her and Ripley. <laughs> you can tell us a little. That was a nice little touch. But it, but yet it's very underplayed. It's like it's like a very natural. It's like people like who spend a lot of time in close quarters can like sometimes have conflict with each other. But they're not. It's not like they're like punching each other. They're yeah, just like, it's, it's, it's kind of low grade. Natural work. It's natural workplace snarkiness. <laughs> exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. And and I feel like a lot of films nowadays. And I know I've I've been on the show before talking about how like you know I don't want to like shit on contemporary films because. I think it's easy to do that, like, you know, with the sort of like kids these days mentality. But I do think that there are a lot of nuances and subtleties in Alien that would today be probably overwritten or overdone to compensate for a studio's um, fear that people won't pick up on it or fear that it's going to right. be read as boring or as like underdeveloped. Like, I, I think, I mean, like we showed Alien to uh, some um, ex some of uh, like my in-laws. Uh, about maybe a month ago it was the first time they ever seen it, but because we always talk about it, you know, they were finally like, okay, like let's watch this movie, and they and they they liked it, but they were pretty bored. Um, and I was like, you know, I can I can I can see that because if you're not used to that kind of filmmaking, and you're watching it for the first time in 2017 at the time, you know, then yeah, it's gonna come across like, where's the action? Like, where's the exposition? You know, I I can understand it. Yeah, but what I like what. Alien does is that there's the character development, but there's a you know, there's a payoff. It's not you're you're getting invested in the characters, you're getting invested in the in the character development, but there's there's an end game. You know, it's it's all it's a it's perfectly put together. Yeah, right, right. Like I, I've I've listened to some podcasts, written some articles. Well, well, people get even more hardcore. Well, the internet turns into a typical horror movie. Oh, shut up! <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. Come on. 
I would even call it a haunted I have a house. Whole, I, have a whole other rant, I have a whole other rant going about aliens, but I'll say that. Well, like, a lot day. of people call alien a haunted house <laughs> in space. It's not a haunted house in space. I, I, I don't, it's, it's kind of like there's a stranger among us, and who is it? And where is it? And who's the enemy? Who's the real right, enemy? Ten millennials. You know? Um, yeah, I like the, the Christ- um, uh, how does, what do they say? What do they call it? The, the, the eighth passenger? The yes, eighth yes, passenger, yes. I think. Yeah, I love me that. Too, me too. Love yes. that. Which is also why oh, The okay. Thing is such you know, eternally great film. I, we should do a, a fucking – we should do a Carpenter's The Thing oh. podcast at some oh point. Oh, my God. Or at least an episode. Oh, that would be so fun. Good. We, should, yeah, we could do a, maybe a Patreon exclusive Talk on that. That would be an fun. An ensemble Dave, cast, how amazing that is. But anyways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in, in the same vein as Alien, <clears> you're absolutely right. The threat is not clear the whole time. It's, it's <laughs> very hard to tell what's actually happening. You just know people are disappearing. Um, and you're seeing things that don't make any sense, but like, you know, are you losing your mind? Like what's actually at the heart of it and what, what's the actual threat? Yeah. I, I mean, that's an amazing, I mean, the, the thing is just a, an, an absolutely paramount film. I think in terms of, um, impact on filmmaking, I would say net, not quite, but nearly as important as alien. I think it's, it's had a huge impact in the, in the decade since. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, what do you guys think about John Hurt in this part? Uh, I mean? <sighs> fantastic another amazing yeah he seemed like he was the more uh you know he was gung-ho about uh going into the ship you know he seemed the more adventurous of the crew he couldn't wait to explore it make some money um and of course the most one of the most famous death scenes in horror movie history <laughs> what i love about and, uh, Kurt too is that you could tell that he wanted to be more than just a trucker in space. You can tell he had, right. he was an explorer. He wanted to know more. He wanted to <clears> understand. <throat> but this is yep. the job that he had. And he had a chance to see something. And he was like, I'm going. I'll walk, you know. Yeah. And Dallas was like, of course you are. Yeah. <laughs> Did we lose Patrick? We lost. No, I'm oh, here. Okay. I'm, I'm just I'm just shutting up so I don't talk oh. too much. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought I lost you guys. Well, I mean, I think. <clears throat> yeah, can't... go ahead. Go ahead. No, go. go I was go. just thinking. Uh, I know that we were talking about everybody. We we kind of talked about Parker a little bit um, with Brett, but I, I also see Ripley as a supporting character. You know, for two thirds of the film, she is a supporting character. She's not the star of anything. Tom Skerritt's the star. He's the kind of the more bankable Hollywood star at the time. And uh, again, I think Ripley Sigourney Weaver was. I think she was 29 when she made Alien. It was her first big picture. Um, she was very new. She was uh, she had worked on the stage. She was not. She was. She had a very tenuous uh, relationship with Yafet Koto because that's what Ridley Scott wanted him to do to kind of create uh, a dynamic between them. She was really amazing. I mean, she just kind of fit really well amongst those casts as kind of like the newbie, and you could tell she had higher rank than Brett and Kane and everyone else. Actually, no, I think her rank was this, she was below Kane. But she was really trying to keep her own, and I think Sigourney Weaver really did a great job as a supporting character for two-thirds of that film. It yeah. didn't, she didn't wasn't <laughs> taking true. up the limelight. She was just fitting in with everyone else. And uh, she was kind of the opposite of Lambert, where she was... She wasn't steely. She she was emotional, and she was trying to keep herself together, but she didn't lose it like Lambert did. Right. Yeah, I mean, like the the whole movie almost, you know, the, everyone's a supporting character because especially that day and age, everyone just assumes that Dallas is Dallas is going to survive. 
Dallas is going to be the hero, you know? She was the real, no one expected, you know, <clears throat> Ripley to survive. It was just so beautifully done. Absolutely. Totally. And, and it was so subtle because, like, especially for audiences at the time, they were not expecting that. And, and not no, because not they were all. necessarily, like, not because women were necessarily <clears throat> never the hero, but in, in a science fiction film starring this very kind of virile trucker cast, you would not have expected this like 27 year old woman to, uh, you know, who was like fourth ranked on the ship at the time in the beginning to, all, you know, become this like, you know, incredibly heroic uh, character. I want to point go back for one moment. I, I think I, I think Ripley, you know, we could probably wrap up with her because I'm sure we all have a lot to say, to say about her <laughs> in, this, in this part. But just something about Kane that I've always thought was really interesting is have you guys ever uh, – like looked at his like dossier and the quadrilogy. I think it's the quadrilogy or the anthology and the special features they have like his background information. Yeah. Um, there's like his whole his whole story is so interesting. Like how he actually came to to be on the Nostromo. So because he's like obviously a little bit older than than the others and he's got his own kind of you know he's the first to wake up. He has it, and like you said I think Jamie you said uh, he's very gung ho about exploring. Like he's obviously like. He's kind of on like his own wavelength a little bit. So he was actually like a really gifted uh, medical student, and um, and while he was a student, he became like really addicted to some sort of medication, and it basically ruined his life. And he had to basically start again from ground zero, and then he worked his way up to you know this executive level again. Uh, and uh, after he gotten clean, but you know, but, but we're seeing him in like the second phase of his career in Alien. Uh, he's not like because because he was like one of the top students of his class. He was somebody who could have done really great things, and instead we're seeing him as this like fifty-something-year-old dude who should be in a different place in his professional career given his trajectory before this happened. And he's like just you know kind of on this dumpy ship, not even in charge of it. So to me, I feel like his his denouement, his like going into the mouth of the beast a little bit, makes a lot of sense because he has. Because a he's kind of a reckless person, you know, like he's he's right. taking these chances with these medications in the past, and he's lived kind of a rough life, and also he has less to lose because he's already lost everything. So to me, it makes a lot of sense that he would go and do that. And you know, when he, when he speaks, he's so erudite. I mean, for, for one thing, it's John Hurt who could read the phone book, and it would be you know Oscar winning. <laughs> he's so talented as an actor. But I mean, I, I feel like there's a, a real reason for that. Like there's a reason why they wanted somebody who had that kind of gravitas because. You don't expect it in a place like this, in a role like this, with people like this doing a job like well, this. Well, he you know? was in his 50s, by the way. He was 38 when he did Alien. Oh, my God. Are he you got, serious? He was 40. Oh, you were uh, only off by a couple years there. Wow. <laughs> Man. He looks so old. Yeah, certainly there's weathering to his face for sure. He's got that. Yeah. He's yeah. been through a lot. And, and, you know, even post that, I mean, he played um, – in the Elephant Man with Anthony Hopkins, um, he played the you know the title character, and he was incredible. He was also in 1984, oh, yeah. which again a seminal film um, from a seminal book. Um, he's he's had mm -hmm. quite the career of playing um, very intriguing and um, heady characters. Yes, such a great actor. Um, and uh, and speaking of the Elephant Man. I have always said that I think Cronenberg would be an amazing director for an alien mm -hmm. film because he's pretty much the master of body horror, but also just he gets like he gets the philosophical darkness behind it and that nihilistic terror and like the beautiful cinematography. I just feel like he would be so great. And I know he's been approached in the past and it's not it's fallen apart. But, you know, 
David Cronenberg, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you are, this is probably what you do every night. You know, you listen to Perfect Organism. <laughs> I just want you to know that uh, I, you know, as somebody who comes on the show and co-hosts it, uh, would really love for you to <laughs> direct an alien movie. So I think we can consider the deal. Good done. choice. He's going to hear this and he's going to be like, okay, that makes sense, right? Well, that sounds fantastic. Thanks, <laughs> Why didn't That's I think of that? Right now. <laughs> anyway, I think he'd be a really good, really good choice. Not to derail this. Um, I know we got to talk about Ripley. I also, I, I, I think it's worth an honorable mention for um, Badejo, who I think just did an amazing job in the Xeno suit. I think that's like, yes. you know, it's this incredible, um, incredible part. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would like to give, um, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Jonesy. Oh, most yeah. Disrespected... I don't think he gets enough respect for a, facing Danny and out. himself. That's a it's great a, <laughs> meow. <laughs> he was a he was a very good actor. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> a bang into the role. Um, Yo, not pussyfoot around that oh. shit. Let me tell you, he was <laughs> a little shithead so in Texas. Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's no kitten around in this oh. podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 amazing that he supplies basically three quarters of the jump scares in the movie. I think. <laughs> So we have this excuse for, I mean, it's an important part. Like it, it's literally become like a joke in filmmaking. Like they call it like a cat scare. There's like a term for it. When it's a jump scare that a cat triggers. It's like, cause it happens so often now that you get tension built up really high. And then a cat does something weird. And everybody's like, yeah. out about it. And I think Jonesy is very clearly the predecessor to that. <laughs> Probably. Um, but I do think that, 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 that Balaji Badejo is just um, it, like, when you think about the circumstances behind his getting cast in this, I mean, he wasn't an actor. He was a graphic artist who was just like happened to be drinking in a bar. And, and I, I don't know if it was really Scott or one of the producers. I can't remember who, who spotted him. You guys might know, but you know, they saw this like 45 foot tall Nigerian dude who weighed three pounds and they were like, you have to do something with this build that you have. You know? <laughs> and, um, and to his credit, with no experience he like learned movement he studied dance he got really i mean he was like he was born to do this part and of course he died in 92 from i think sickle cell uh, anemia but i mean just i mean like can you imagine like having somebody else doing that i mean no i mean it's have you watched the the behind the scenes stuff with him it's so cool seeing him practice the movements and the way with the uh you know mimicking what they want it's 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 still creepy, even just behind the scenes stuff. It is, even when you see him with that dumpy, like the fake head on, you yeah. know, like, and he, and it's like it's so scary because it's the xenomorph. Yeah. You totally see yeah. him. Really, they just in a, they moved away from that body type as the films progressed. Like by the time we get to Alien Three, you have someone else in the suit who just is more proportioned correctly. Um, so the legs are fatter. Um, it just looks like more like a human in a suit as opposed to this authentic fucking scary alien right i mean give it you know we need something get something creepy unsettling yeah. in there you know it doesn't need to be perfectly you know or proportionate you're supposed to fuck your you know yeah. fuck your yeah. head up yeah. <laughs> right 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 although i, I um, do think that it, it says a lot about tom woodruff jr that he as somebody who jamie can personally attest having just hung out with him is not like a giant strangely proportioned he guy. Isn't, but he's a giant like that, that yeah, he's is he a big he's guy? Really tall. He's like six four. He's crazy. Yes. No way. I, when I met him, I was like, no I said to way. him, 
I said, you're tall. He goes, yep, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you wink at him. <laughs> no, I winked at Alec Gillis. But <laughs> <laughs> so, is Alec Gillis? He's not no, tall. He's no, he's not. I, he's, he's just a bodybuilder, so yeah. he's got like muscles. Right, right. But but Tom Woodruff Jr. is is I I would never have thought yeah, that for I know. some reason. But you know. It's because Balaki Bendejo is 35 feet tall, so yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. you know. You know who has a similar build to him who I love and who was in Covenant is Javier Botet. I think that um, – like, do you guys know Javier Botet? He, yeah. was, in, he was in Mama, yeah. and he's been in – he was in It. He was the leper in It. And he's, oh, okay. So Javier Botet is like this – it's just like what, what else are you going to do with the way that you look? Like he has hands that are about nine feet long. And he is like zero percent body fat and is the size of a small building. And like, you know, at some point, some casting director was like, I think you should play the monster in something because <laughs> you see him. It doesn't make any sense. Like he's just it, you know what I mean? It's like it you're kind of like, how does a person like the silhouette doesn't look human, you know? And um, and to his credit, he's done some amazing work. And he was actually recently just like a couple of miles from our house um, on, on it was actually the 4th of July last year. They were filming Slender Man oh, wow. and he's the Slender Man in the movie. And, uh, yeah. and I went over to try to, cause he, he tagged himself on Instagram in Concord, which is the town next to us. And I like ran over there and I couldn't find him, but that's kind yeah, of, he did, up he, for he, another he did a great job. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my point being that I think that uh, they really struck gold when they cast uh, the Xenomorph in that film. For sure. Yes, definitely. Do you guys want to talk about Ripley a little bit before we close up? Um, we talked about it a little bit. Oh, yeah. I would say I, Let's do guys have any... it, would, it would be great eventually uh, as this series progresses to discuss the difference between these ensembles, these supporting characters as the films progress. And is there a film, we don't have to get yeah, into it I... now, but is there a film where there's a stronger cast <clears throat> and where that, that ensemble, that, that believability kind of, not falls apart, but isn't as strong and i think that there's plenty of opportunity for discussion about that yeah i already in my head i've already gone over what where i think it kind of begins to falter a bit yeah so obviously alien aliens are strong and then i think at alien 3 it's strong but kind of and everything from mm -hmm. then it's mm -hmm. we'll get yeah, into it yeah. but that's i think it's really the first two clear cut and then it's you know then it almost comes almost a preference of your movie. If you like the movie or not, yeah, or yeah. it's it's really the first two, and then you know, then it's dealer's choice. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I say that that's a great uh, first entry into the series. I, I, again, I think much. I think this was a great idea, Dave, because again, we don't Thank we you. don't <laughs> we don't talk about this. We talk about the alien. No. We talk about Ripley. Like we, we talk about so many yeah, different yeah. things. But these people are what make these films great. It's not just Sigourney Weaver. It's not just the director. It's not just right. Geiger or Giger. It's it's uh, it's this supporting cast for sure. Yeah, and well, and I think it's it's just it's important to to remember part of what makes Alien so special. I mean, there's so many things that make Alien a truly special film, like you know, and and. Uh, like one of the great films of all time. And one of them I think is just the nature of this ensemble has never been replicated. I mean, this, these were parts that were spe specifically written by O'Bannon and, and Shusett to be played by either gender, 
So there was no like, you know, like any kind of um, implicit sexual stuff that was going on kind of came out in the course of just playing the parts. So like it was already underwritten from like there was no like, you know, like overt hitting on people because it wasn't even like in the script because they, they could have been played by either gender. So like, you know, it was very kind of it could have been it was very mysterious in that regard. And it the fact that it was so sort of carte blanche from the beginning, I think, allowed these amazing character actors to come in and do whatever they wanted with it. And these were not like except for uh, for Veronica Cartwright and Scorny Weaver, like these were people who were kind of mid-career actors, you know? These were people who were not like these sort of young heartthrob sellout. Like these were people who were like really working actors in Hollywood and knew what they were doing and were not put in those um, positions just to sell tickets. They were just sort of like people with great chemistry who Scott could sort of just be like, all right, go in a room and figure this out. I'm going to concentrate on the production design aspect of this. And they came out of it with this just amazing performance that is so special because you almost couldn't replicate it. You know, it almost couldn't happen again. It was a miracle. Yeah, it was it was written with no agendas, no forced thing they felt they had to, you know, include because the time they just wrote the movie. These are the characters. This is what's going to happen. That's yeah. it. And it was natural. It was, you know, like you said, you could tell nothing is nothing's forced it's just actors being actors put into the roles and go do your thing and you know i i know alien is a lot about world building and really you cannot build a world unless you have people in that world that are selling it to us the ensemble and supporting cast of alien sold all of the the interior of the nostromo the nostromo was really well crafted it was well designed it was well built all of those things but who sold that place it felt like home you know, because they yep. made it feel like mm-hmm. home. They, you know, they were so at ease in that space. Um, so really, hats off to them. Yeah. Yeah, I could have said it better. Special, yeah. special movie. Special yes. movie. Yeah. Huh. I, think, uh, I think that's a good place yeah, to Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, looking forward to the next one of these. For more on this and our other projects, please visit www.perfectorganism.com. If you'd like to join the conversation, find us on our closed Facebook group, Building Better Worlds. To support the show, please consider visiting www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. We've got some great perks available. And as always, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. We can't tell you how much your support means to us, but we can hopefully show you by continuing to provide better, more ambitious, and more dynamic content for years to come.